You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Immediately after pressing the record button, I just coughed. Uh, in, a, in a heinous manner, like right into the microphone, and uh, and poor Benjamin Hill and Samuel Dykstra in New York City. I, I apologize. I'm very unprofessional. I'm gonna cut it out. Like when people are listening to the intro, it's not gonna start with me hacking into the microphone. But I wanted to. I wanted to admit to my unprofessionalism and apologize uh, before the world to you too. Yeah, you wanted to paint the picture so the audience can feel included. Even exactly. If they didn't- Exactly. You're, yeah, you're very inclusive in that way, Tyler. I guess. Precisely. Yeah. yeah, I, I try. Mean, you to can be. still cut this part out too. <laughs> you could also not talk about this, <laughs> and we could just have a normal episode. The amount of times that we've opened the show, that I've opened the show by just discussing something completely needlessly about what happened before we started recording the show. Yeah, thank you for changing the pronoun on that because it's yeah, always yeah. a you thing and not a. <laughs> Shut up, Sam. (laughs) Um, Hey, welcome into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. My name is Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill in New York City. Uh, We actually did have a lot of fun right before we started recording. We just like we're sharing random stories of our time uh, with MILB.com. And then kind of storyboarding like, oh, wouldn't this be a fun episode if we just like shared random stories of our time with MILB.com? So be on the lookout for that because I think we might do that over the offseason as uh, the minor league baseball offseason has arrived. What's the what's the vibe around the uh, around the office these days, gents? Well, yeah, I mean, we're we're in a weird time now because the office we work around MLB.com now. Um, so, so much of the focus is on the MLB postseason. We're, we're through that. I mean, for anybody who's following the last few weeks of minor league postseason, the Norfolk Tides defeated the Oklahoma City uh, Dodgers in the AAA National Championship last week in Las Vegas. So the minor league season is over. But for us, at least, you know, some of us, uh, we pivot immediately to the Arizona Fall League. And that's something we'll talk about later, Tyler, you and I. Uh, you know, the rosters were out last week. Opening day for the Fall League was on Monday. Um, so on one side, you're focusing so much on the MLB postseason and on the other side, there's still prospects playing baseball every night, uh, three games a day, uh, in the Valley of the sun down there in Arizona. So that's, that's a lot of where my focus is. Ben, you are the Phillies fan on this podcast. We are talking here on Thursday, Phillies wrapped up, uh, their wild card ground pretty easily. Uh, the you know last night how, how was it four feel to sweeps in four wild four card sweeps. series there's four no sweeps. there's no game three no game three there's no game three to be found yeah, kind of weak yeah yeah I mean that was the expected result but in a way that made me more nervous about it because what is sports if not full of unexpected results but those are two fun games to watch I've always found October to be a kind of profoundly weird month given what my job is because like Sam said like we work in an office that's very fixated on the postseason now for good reason. Um, you know, Sam and others of his ilk. I just like the word ilk. <laughs> um, you know, they they shift right into the AFL. For me, you know, October is the slowest month for anything related to the sort of, you know, quote unquote business and culture that I cover because teams have just ended the season. There's really not much news coming out. Um, but one of the many benefits of my road trips is that, I still have a lot of material. So 
as opposed to this feeling of like, there's nothing going on. What do I write about? Which is a familiar feeling from earlier years of my career. Um, I got plenty of material <laughs> from my road trips and I used to feel really stressed about it. Like I have to be done everything by November or by, by my birthday. <laughs> that was always my goal by November 6th. Cause it just gets less and less relevant. And uh, now I'm a little more casual about that. I feel like what's the problem with having material during a slow time, especially if it's not super specific, you know, to any certain event or timeliness. So I just kind of, you know, let it flow and, and get the material out there. But I do think without the rhythm of the season promos and just games going on all over minor league baseball, me having gotten back from a road trip or looking forward to one, I do find it kind of motivationally a strange month because I'm like, I still have all this material and I need to get it out. But there isn't that kind of built in pulse and energy of the season. And then weirdly, you know, a lot of my focus in my life become, especially when the Phillies are in, it becomes, you know, following baseball in a way that I, as a fan, instead of as a professional, and it's a kind of a strange dynamic or counterbalance going on there. I think the takeaway there is Ben gets very unprofessional during Phillies games. Yes. I mean, just revealing yeah, your Philly that. fanatics tattoo that is on your stomach at every, it's, at it's every life size. I mean, yeah. not just yeah. a stomach. It's like just below like where that button, the top button is, on Ben's shirt right now, that's where the fanatic starts, and it goes all. Yes, Bryson Stott hits a grand yeah. slam, and it's just immediately he just the rips it open. Yeah. yeah, incredible Hulk. And you're right, Tyler. It is lifestyle, life size, because my <laughs> like stomach is as big as the fanatic. <laughs> Man, I know that game. That's why I have Dinger, the Colorado Rockies Triceratops. That's how big mine is. It's it's great. I love being in my late thirties. It's terrific. Yeah. Um, well, size stomachs for all. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. Uh, well, gents, it is a, uh, it is a fun time of year for baseball fans all across the landscape. Uh, and, uh, we're going to dive in and talk about a lot of fun stuff on this week's episode of the show before the show, uh, before we do that. You can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. I feel like we haven't gotten like a good listener question in a little while. Uh, send us something something fun, something interesting, something, uh, you know, dig up an old team that you want Josh Jackson to do a, a Ghost of the Miners segment on or an old player or something. I'm just going to assign all of this to Josh. Do, send us an email that Josh can work on. He's, you know, he's never inundated with stuff. Um, but seriously, get in touch, podcast at MILB.com. Uh, and uh, let's let's do it. Let's kick it off, boys. Uh, uh, the minor league baseball awards are in the books. Our very own Benjamin Hill. How often do you get stopped on the street now? Like, are you Ben Hill from the MILB award show on MLB network? That happens very, that has happened in my life. Not since I've done this award show appearance um, outside the ballpark on a handful of occasions, but usually when I get recognized, it's inside a ballpark, which makes a lot more sense. But anytime it happens outside of a ballpark, it, it has like, 10 times the value of an in-ballpark recognition. I'm like, whoa, I can't believe someone just recognized me. Because um, I like, I prefer total anonymity in my you know, day-to-day life. And I start to feel how, you know, celebrities feels, like the, the Taylor Swifts and Beyonce's of the world. Um, and it's, it is Someday quite it's going to be, it's going to be a three artist show and it'll be Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Benjamin Hill. That'll be, that'll be it. I'm excited for that. Yeah. I, I am too. I mean, we're, it's only a matter of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, on a personal level, that was a, um, it was a kind of career milestone for me. I've been on TV and the MLB network, you know, local news broadcasts, and I've done remote hits on the MLB network, but this was my first in-studio um, television appearance of any kind. So that was interesting. I did two segments. Uh, one wasn't part of the awards proper, 
but I just highlighted uh, five interesting food items from around the minor leagues, just as a, you know, a palate cleanser, if you will, during the awards themselves. And uh, also presented the alternate identity uh, category because every you know award show needs a little contextualization of the nominees. And I think probably no other category in the uh, MILB awards, the minor league baseball awards, maybe needed more contextualization for the casual fan uh, than alternate identities because there's stories behind them. So it was kind of a nerve wracking experience. I did it all in one take and uh, you're just going bam, 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 trying to explain, you know, Amarillo calf fries. Exploding whales, Hartford bouncing pickles, hickory, dickory, docks, Hoosier State tenderloins, Hudson Valley cider donuts, Norfolk lumpia, and Springfield cashew chickens. And if you watched the award show or saw our corresponding coverage that came out in the wake of it, you know that the winner of alternate identity was no general here. It was a ballsy choice. It was a ballsy choice. It was the Amarillo calf fries. And yes, that did present some difficulties uh, for me presenting the category. I mean, the team's own press release, the Amarillo Sod Poodles, when they announced this <laughs> alternate identity, did not announce what a calf fry actually I forgot is. about that. We had like a 10-minute conversation on the podcast about like, well, well, what is this? It's not pointed out in the press release. And and we had to, we were uncovering it. Yeah, so it was a strange thing. And, you know, just going alphabetically, I started with that one. And it was just kind of something along the lines of, you know, a cowboy delicacy, also known as Rocky Mountain Oysters. If you know, you know, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And then uh, I did two takes for that segment. Um, and in the second one, I just ended with, you know, the sod poodles played as the calf fries seven times this season. So fans had plenty of opportunity to have a ball. And hey, snuck it past the censors. Uh, the SEC has been meaning to yeah, talk to you yeah. about that. That is nuts. When it, when, it, when it got thrown back to uh, – that was nuts, yeah. <laughs> when the segment went back Sam's to Matt Vaskersian, uh, you know, Matt Vaskersian was hosting the um, the awards. He said something along the lines of, like, that segment had more double entendres than a episode of Three's Company. And I was like, that's what I always aim for. In my, my <laughs> right in our demographic. Yeah. And the then when perfect Rise, dude to be hosting, by the way, Matt Vesgrave. He's great. Yeah, he's, he, he's he awesome. He a great job. And he he has, you know, he spent a lot of time in the minor leagues uh, working his way up the broadcasting rank. So he has a real knowledge of and appreciation for the minors. So he yeah. was a truly good host. Um, not some mercenary. You know, he, he was in there. He understands the minors and he likes it. Uh, and then when the Cap Rise won, you know, he was standing in the dugout, the studio dugout uh, next to a Jersey of it. And he's like, okay, we've backed right up to the edge of what, <laughs> of what is okay here. <laughs> you know, like, um, so in a way I like all this just because it's a good reminder that minor league baseball uh, still has the capacity to be right on the edge of what is okay. And really that's what I've tried to focus on so often in my professional career uh, in terms of the kind of things I cover. And, you know, that can be difficult sometimes finding things that toe the line in the right way. And, you know, it's a little bit more of a conservative promotional environment over the last couple seasons, but it's still minor league baseball and there's still uh, a lot of goofiness going out there. And I think alternate identity as a category really highlighted it well for a, a mass audience. I haven't seen the ratings, but I mean, I think it, got beat out by Sunday night football, but every other, sh- I think it was, Maybe. I think it was number Maybe. two in the ratings. Yeah. Yeah. It probably got, I, like I don't a, think there could be a better share. Ad. Yeah. There yeah. you go. I don't think there could be a better ad for Google than the calf fries. Cause like everybody, <laughs> whenever people talk about it, like, Oh, just Google it on your own personal device. That's a good point. Find out what it is. Like yeah. they should make an ad out of that because everybody is talking around it. 
They don't want to say what it is. So go look it up on your own. I no, still Google's like different than it used to be, but still. I still say uh, Bing it or ask Jeeves it. Sure. Is that is that weird? Is that weird? Does Ask do Jeeves still exist? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I know Jeeves like exists. Ask. Like, com. They, yeah. they fired Jeeves. Um, yeah, Jeeves. I know. What is he going to do now? Yeah. He's got to go be a butler somewhere. Yeah, um, they dug up some of his old tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out Jeeves had a lot of issues. Jeeves, <laughs> a real, a rough one. Um, okay, a lot of other minor league baseball awards handed out. Uh, some of them with winners that I'd say are not that surprising uh, because we have had some incredible performances this year uh, in minor league baseball. Let's start minor league baseball hitter of the year. Uh, big shocker here. Jackson Holiday takes that award. Uh, Sam, Ben, these are such a good opportunity for us to recognize somebody's full body of work for a minor league season it's not necessarily always just prospect focused uh or just you know the biggest names that you know uh but in some cases it is and jackson holiday who has been such a revelation this year obviously gets his uh his due credit yeah i mean we'll just breeze through these real quick um because i know we talked a lot about who the nominees were uh leading into the show so the winners hitter hitting prospect of the year was jackson holiday as tyler said guy Got on base everywhere he played. Was the number one overall pick last year. Climbed four levels. Was on that Norfolk team uh, by the end of the season. And even after a slow start, with Norfolk ended up still being above league average for AAA, which is insane for a guy playing in his age 19 season. Uh, pitching prospect of the year was Drew Thorpe of the New York Yankees system. Somebody who spent most of the year uh, between high A and double A. One of the best pitchers, at least statistically, this year. Uh, there's a reason why we picked it. I, again, I want to hammer home the idea that this is hitting prospect and pitching prospect. It isn't necessarily just the best performers in the minors. Um, we did bake in some prospecty goodness. That's what we call it uh, into this. But Drew Thorpe just got onto the top 100, led the minors with 182 strikeouts uh, between high A and double A in that Yankee system. Really, really good changeup. Uh, that's why he was chosen for that. Breakout prospect of the year, Junior Caminero, who got a few at bats for the Rays during their wild card run. Fortunately, didn't work out for them. His season is over. Uh, but another guy playing his age 19 season hit 30 plus home runs, got to double A, skipped over triple A, got to the majors. He's now our number six overall prospect out of after opening the year outside the top 100. I think when we update things again, you could see him creep up a little bit more just because the guy absolutely pounds the ball. Uh, the mill debut of the year went to Ethan Salas of the San Diego Padres. And by debut, we don't mean like their first game. We mean somebody who had not played in the minors before this season made their debut in the minors and became a bigger name. That's definitely Ethan Salas, uh, somebody who was signed last January uh, by the San Diego Padres, skipped over the complexes, completely opened up at single A, ended the year at double A. Some rough numbers there, but uh, a really, really solid catching prospect in all aspects of the game. He's now our number five overall prospect. That's why we thought he had the best debut of the year because he beat expectations to get to Lake Elsinore in the first place and then continued to do that as the summer went along. Uh, also, team of the year went to the Norfolk Tides, one of the most accomplished teams of the season uh, at any level, but the fact that their season ended with not only an international league title, but also the triple a national title, as I mentioned earlier in Las Vegas was the perfect ending for, you know, a triple a team in an Oriole system that is seeing a lot of success this year at the major league level. Of course, they're still waiting to begin their ALDS run on, on Saturday. Uh, but 
because they have so much talent in that system, a lot of it got backed up to AAA, and the Tides reaped the rewards of that. And they were really good from beginning of the season all the way to the end. Um, you know, you think about the talent that was on that team. Colton Kowser was a standout uh, in the championship game. Connor Norby was one of their best players all season long. And guess what? You get to add the number one overall prospect in the game in Jackson Holiday by the end. So uh, thankfully, you know, they won that game, but I think they would have been a team of the year regardless uh, if they had won the AAA national t- title or not. But it was it was a super ending to the season for the Tide. So those are our major winners. Um, we also had an all prospect team, both first and second team that was released uh, during the Millable Awards show. Some other fun stuff. You can actually go back and watch that entire stream. Watch Ben's segment. Um, I tweeted out a few days ago, but you can just if you just search Millable Award Show, uh, the whole the entire thing is on MLB.com. So I highly recommend people check that out and uh, you know see some of the best highlights of the year. We have best home run, we have best defensive play, um, and it's just super fun to see all this stuff kind of coalesce. And it's a great way of celebrating all that was minor league baseball in 2023. Yeah, please watch it. I um. You know, I have a lot of anxiety and self-loathing with, you know, seeing myself on TV and I didn't watch myself for days and I just needed enough positive feedback over several days to bring myself to watch it. And then I was like, oh, this is not bad. So now the pendulum is struck, is swung in the direction of uh, self-loving instead of self-loathing and it'll swing back again. But it's, yeah, it's really feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wouldn't know, Tyler. I don't think I've ever been there. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, but it is a funny psychological process, and I do hope to do more, you know, in-studio uh, television appearances, and uh, I'm feeling better about it now. But, man, <laughs> it did a number on me just with my own self-perceptions and just that feeling of, like, oh, this sucks. No one wants to see me. And now I'm like, I've always been the greatest of all time, <laughs> you know? But it's a, it's a back and forth. And you know what gets me about Jackson Holiday is that his dad, Matt Holiday is younger than I am and he's Jackson's dad, like the top hitting prospect in Holy all of, cow. all of baseball top prospect period. In all yeah. Of baseball. yeah. I mean, my son is two and a half and he likes fire trucks and hitting me in the face. And it's just like, <laughs> it's a to be fair, distinct. I like those things also. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Matt holiday was like, um, he was like my last favorite player in my life before I worked in sports. Matt Holiday made his his major league debut, I believe in 2005 with the Rockies. He might have gotten like a cup of coffee in 2004, but I was in love with Matt Holiday uh for the entirety of his career. He should have won the 2007 National League MVP, he got ripped off. Um and just like a dude who I loved forever. And then seeing not only Jackson Holiday but Ethan Holiday who is a rising young star as well. I saw Ethan Holiday uh as part of the the United States national team at the U15 baseball World Cup last year. Um, yeah, that's not Matt Holiday is supposed to be like 27 and like crushing opposite field homers at Coors Field. That's not no, that's not okay. I remember seeing Jackson Holiday when they signed the Rockies signed Troy Tulowitzki to a, a lengthy contract extension in 2008. I remember Jackson Holiday at like three years old wandering into the press conference room while he was getting ready to leave with his dad and just yelling out in the middle of Troy Tulowitzki's uh comments, just yelling out, bye, Tulo as a adorable three-year-old kid. And now he's like, you know, he's the next big thing. I mean, that is, that is one thing Jackson talked about uh, after winning the award is like, it, it did help him being around those clubhouses. I bet that, you know, he played in four different ones yep. this, yep. this summer. And that's not counting getting an invite to major league spring training 
to begin the year. I mean, he shows up and er- everywhere he goes, he is not old enough uh, to the, or, well, there's that, that famous story of he got to Norfolk, they were on the road and the hotel had to ask him for ID because they didn't think he was allowed to have a hotel room. Because <laughs> um, he does look like he's about 12. Yeah, he does look very young, but you know, he's been around the game for so long. Nothing really phases him. He's yeah. seen stuff in clubhouses. He's been in those environments. He can just roll into any clubhouse. And that probably includes the major leagues, by the way, yeah. and not be concerned and not yeah. be overwhelmed. Um, so when you can do that, that allows you to be really good at every level. There isn't that level of adjustment that guys talk about all the time. You're, you're so used to it. Um, so, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it, it feels like nepotism in some way, but the talent is there. I mean, right. we've seen it. The numbers are there now. This is not just, hey, he's Matt's son. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That gets him yeah. on the radar. It's it's more than that. Yeah, this isn't broadcasting. You got to prove yourself instead of being so somebody's son. Um, Sam and Ben and Josh, by the way, for the ninth straight year, voted as the top minor league baseball host slash contributors on a podcast. So big congratulations to you three. Still trying to crack that group. But I'm hoping at some point the voters will will see what we've all done as a collective unit and I'll and I'll get in there as well. But I'm really happy for you guys. I don't go to bed every night crying, um, holding my Josh Jackson goes to the minors commemorative plushie. I don't do that, despite what people see. I, I didn't get a plushie this year, so you, you already have a one up on me. There you go. Yeah, you got to get the talking Josh doll. That's the best. <laughs> That's one. The best it one. is the best one. It wags its finger. Well, and it just speaks to at r- random times, too. It just interrupts. Like, a, you know. Yeah, there's no yeah. string. It just, no. It just yeah, falls. exactly. It's so bizarre. Um, okay. I'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Josh, it's 1230 in the morning. Let's continue uh, discussing things from the season. Uh, You went to Louisville. You still uh, get uh, the opportunity to kind of tease out the remainder of your trips. And one thing that is very cool uh, at this stage of the year, I would imagine for you, is you sort of get to go back through, all right, I went here and here and here. What are things that I haven't gotten a chance to write about and cover yet that I want to? Um, Louisville, we're still uh, getting the opportunity to hear about. That's one of the real great stops on the minor league baseball uh, map, a former major league city, a history chock full of baseball in that city. Tell us about what else you got coming from Louisville. Yeah. Um, well, still a couple standalone feature stories to come, but it's uh, featured in my newsletter, newsletter, the Ben's Biz Beat, which uh, landed in my own inbox just about an hour ago. And uh, please subscribe to that if you aren't already. There'll be a corresponding MILB.com article on Friday, the day this podcast comes out. I hadn't been to Louisville Slugger Field in nine years, so definitely overdue for a visit. And uh, it was just a great evening. It was a Friday night in September. That would have been September 8th. And, um, you know, I was a little not concerned, but, you know, these AAA teams that have to go deep into September I was a little concerned about the post-Labor Day crowds, maybe, that there wouldn't be, like, a great energy at the ballpark. But they had a great crowd. It was a beautiful night. Um, And I was just reminded what a beautiful ballpark that is. Uh, I had the distinction this season, uh, unintentionally, of going to both minor league ballparks featuring a portion of the structure that is a converted train shed. You know, the first was uh, Montgomery, Riverwalk Stadium, where the Biscuits play, and Louisville. So there's this stately brick exterior um, you know, very much in the architectural style of the neighborhood because this front entrance area, you know, existed well, well before the ballpark opened in 2000. It was a warehouse and a train shed. And so they incorporated it into the ballpark itself. So it's a great place to enter. You enter into essentially this massive foyer with a huge, tall ceiling, well lit. And then from there you go, you know, through security and onto the concourse itself. So it's an entering, 
a memorable way to enter the ballpark and uh, a great use of incorporating the existing architecture. And, you know, the team just, you know, ballpark costs being what they are these days, you could never or not never, but it'd be really hard to create something like that when you're building from scratch. But when you can incorporate existing architecture, sometimes you have a little more creativity and uh, ability to create things like that. So, you know, I've been there before, but it was a long time. And, you know, so it wasn't my first impression, but it was my first impression of this visit. And I just reminded, uh, you know, what a beautiful ballpark it is uh, inside and out. And they've done a lot of improvements in recent years. One of those cases, you know, a pandemic silver lining and that they were able to do a lot of renovations uh, during the season that wasn't in 2020 and get that done quicker, uh, remove the bleachers, added a berm area, expanded kids zone, uh, some new ball, bar areas in the outfield. Uh, so there's just a lot of room uh, to move around. And um, yeah, just a, a really great place to see a game. And and the backdrop, I'd kind of forgotten about that. The Ohio River is behind the ballpark, uh, not too far away. And there's three or four bridges that you can see from behind the ballpark, including one that is a pedestrian bridge to Indiana. And it just made me wish that I'd had the time to walk to Indiana and see what's over there in Indiana. In I Jefferson. will say the town across uh, one of the bridges uh, over there in, in Indiana is called New Albany, and it is awesome. There's like this very cool little main street. The only time that I've ever been to the Louisville area, I stayed in New Albany. With, we did a friend's trip, and it's it's awesome. But it was like January, so I didn't get a chance to, to check out a Bats game or anything like that. Did go to the Louisville Slugger uh, Museum, but I didn't, I didn't check it out. But if you do get that opportunity, it's a cool, it's a cool spot. Right. I mean, it's Louisville, Lowell, Lowell. It's Louisville Slugger Field. Lowell. And, uh, you know, that that naming rights deal, um, which makes a lot of sense, um, is because obviously Louisville Slugger and their factory museum is just uh, it's on the same street. It's on Main Street in Louisville. So you could, you know, have a great baseball day in the city by walking, going to the museum and then walking to the game and hit up a distillery or two along the way if you're so inclined. There were actually signs, you know, like the street lamps that said Louisville is the birthplace of bourbonism. So uh, that is an ideology I can get behind. Yeah. Bourbonism. Birthplace of bourbonism. Yeah. Before the um, Louisville Bats played at Louisville Slugger Field, they were in Cardinal Stadium, which had a capacity in the 30,000s. So it was interesting learning about that ballpark a little bit. Uh, They have a picture in like the kind of main entranceway area of the largest crowd at Cardinal Stadium, 33,687 for a minor league baseball game in 1983. And you know why? It was 50 cent hot dog night. And uh, just hear some stories about that ballpark as well. Um, you know, it's pretty run down. Uh, various animals lived on the premises. It just was a whole different era. And I'd like to maybe jump into that a little bit more as well. Um and then, of course, the food. Um, this was described to me as the filet mignon of Louisville Slugger Field is their fried bologna sandwich. I remember that from the last time I visited, but that is one of the uh, most popular food items, fried bologna in Louisville. So my gre- designated eater, Greg Hotop, he had one of those. Uh, he was actually my designated eater nine years ago in Indianapolis. So one of the rare uh, two-time designated eaters. And also in one of the new outfield bar areas, uh, the food served out of it is from a local restaurant called Four Pegs, and they had some barbecue uh, offerings. And one of the things they had was called a Grand Slam. It cost $25, and it was like pulled pork, brisket, and chicken, and french fries, and pickles all on a roll. 
which seemed a little redundant because it's not like you could pick this up and eat it like a sandwich. Um, so $25 is a lot for a concession item, but you could definitely share it with a friend or two. And that was another memorable aspect. The superstars were there. Um, always good to run into them. I, I've known uh, the superstar characters. I mean, not just the characters on the field, but the, um, you know, the people behind them. Uh, if, if you don't, if you're not familiar with superstars, you know, inflatable mascots um, with kind of punning names on sports, uh, sports superstars like Ken, Gira- Ken Giraffe Jr. and that nature. But they are Louisville based. Uh, their founder, Dom Latkovsky, was actually Billy Bird um, at Cardinal Stadium in Louisville and spun off being a minor league baseball mascot in Louisville into this uh, touring company with several acts. And the superstars are active on the circuit all year round. So this is a hometown show for them. It was good to see them. And last thing I'll mention, just because it was totally random, is that you know I sat in the on deck club for an inning, and those are uh, one, one of those premier seating areas, you know, where you're closer to the batter than the pitcher is. You know, it's a really cool place to see a game. And they had a little bar, food, beverage area um, down the tunnel inside behind the seating area, and they had this machine that was like a Keurig machine, but for cocktails. So you just had like pure alcohol in like containers and then you put in like a keurig like packet to what? make a specific cocktail yeah wow Bartesian. so they had rum breeze mango margarita old-fashioned and Ooh. lemon drop cocktails so you just put this little <laughs> cocktail huh. packet into the machine like a keurig and then hit a button and out comes your cocktail that's Pretty amazing strange. i had not heard yeah. of that so I've always enjoyed that kind of thing during these ballpark visits, just seeing something boozing. I'm like, I've never seen that before. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a Keurig-like cocktail maker was definitely one of them. And uh, keep an eye out for it at a, a ballpark near you, probably in the luxury just, seats area. I don't know. I might if that's just a... buy one for the house. Yeah, why not? Sounds all right, actually. Yeah, pop in a mango margarita pod at the end of a long. You, bo- pod. you both gave me looks like, are you okay? Uh, why would you need to own no, that? No, I'm just more concerned that we're giving them a lot of free pub and that we're not. We yeah, they should be sending us one. I'm going to yes. beep out the name until they send us one. That's what <laughs> yeah. Every week we're going to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. We'll actually... talk about this delightful product, but if they're not sending us any, man, what are we doing here? Yeah. Um. So all of that uh, up and coming from Benjamin Hill. Uh, Ben's also got a really cool story about a uh, a baseballer with uh, an interestingly spelled slash pronounced last name. That's not the part of the story that's interesting, but Caleb Bosley, Ben, uh, a cool story that you got. Yeah, I talked to him in Nashville. Um, he has been with the Sounds for the last two years. He just turned 30 years old, you know, drafted in the 33rd round by the San Diego Padres, uh, then was selected by the Milwaukee Brewers because, um, and, and not because, well, because it was the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft, and that was an interesting move because he's from Wisconsin, grew up a Brewers fan. So if you follow the world of Major League Baseball, you might have seen that Caleb uh, got called up on the, the last Friday of the regular season, pitched two and a third innings in relief and won the game. And he had like 400 f- friends and family there. So I had to rewrite my story because I spoke with him in Nashville you know, earlier in the month and just kind of did a story on how he was the community player of the year, how he was just a popular guy at the ballpark. Um, does a lot of community appearances, interacts with fans, has kind of a humble, self-deprecating nature, and seems to make the most of being a guy who, you know, is in AAA and doing well, but, you know, 30 years old, not 
being explicitly a prospect. So uh, to write that up and then have to rewrite it, no one wants to rewrite a story, but pretty good reason that he got called up and played in Milwaukee and got the win uh, to cap his uh, second season with the Nashville Sounds. And I'll be rooting for him going forward. And I'll have a story on him coming soon. Caleb Bosley, pronounced Bosley, but spelled B-O-U-S-H-L-E-Y, which is probably why everyone calls him Bos. It helps It helps uh, drive home the point that it's Bosley, not Boshley or whatever it may be. He said, you know, through the family lineage, there's alternate pr- pronunciations, but he just goes by Bosley. So, yeah, it's another article coming up. I still got quite a bit in the can. Uh, for these lean times in October and November. So it never ends for me. It just slows down. It is the legend of Ben Hill for a reason. You can find Ben, of course, on the social medias at Ben's Biz and The Ben's Biz. And uh, that's it. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Sam. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Huge thanks uh, to our pal Benjamin Hill, as always. And uh, we're going to talk about the Arizona Fall League, which is underway now in the Grand Canyon State. And uh, Sam is actually headed there soon. Uh, where you, no, just... Um, and I eat delicious Mexican food and get a tan and must be rough to be Sam Dykstra. I mean, listen, That's you know assessment. me as Autumn Man. I do. I do. That is true. I feel like this has got to be torturous for you that you're going somewhere bit. that has no fall. A little bit. That's a good um, but no, it's yeah. it's it's a true. Like, I love going to the AFL. It's it's baseball heaven in many ways because it really there's is. three games happening a day. Um, sometimes I'm covering two games in one day. Every game feels like a minor league all-star game. So it's like guys you've been hearing about all year, all on the same field. Um, I'm going starting this Sunday. So I'll be there for two weeks. I'm picking up the baton from Jim Callis, who has been there for a week for us for MLB pipeline. Um, Jesse Boric, Jesus Cano have been down there, uh, for, they'll be down there all six weeks. They live down there. Um, and Kelsey Hennigan's been checking in with social stuff and, and Jonathan Mayo will be there after me. So we're, we have wall to wall Arizona fall league coverage, which I'm very excited about. Um, but yeah, getting down there for two weeks, it's, it's so much fun. It is a different autumn, uh, than I am used to, but you know, I, I told all the trees to hold, stay green until I'm back. And then you can all change at once. Well, we'll see. They don't always listen. The trees, I was going to say, you know? we'll see how much pull you have uh, yeah. with, the, with the natural world, Sam. Uh, but the Arizona Fall League dawning upon us. And we are, uh, as we do, I think every year, I think we've done this every year. We're going to draft our uh, AFL dream teams. There are six squads in the Arizona Fall League. We're going to boil those down to two and they're going to play a f- best of 51 series uh, over the next few weeks just to, uh, you know, to placate the desires of Kingmakers, Sam Dykstra and Tyler Maughan. Um, 
that's how it works in the prospect world in minor league baseball now. Uh, that's not at all true. Uh, but uh, let's let's discuss the format. We always do snake drafts. I always trust Sam that he's going to use like the random generator to figure out which of us gets the first pick, uh, even though I I don't get to see it. But I will say I think he's a pretty honest man because I've had the first pick time and time again, it feels like. Well, that is true. I was honestly, Tyler, I was going to let you do it this time. Wow. You know, 2023 is a new year. You're a married man now. I am. It's it's time for you to take some leadership in your own home. And uh, uh, what what day is this? This is Thursday. I'm five days into being a married man now. Holy yeah! And I'm giving you responsibilities, just like your wife. You know. Okay. Um. Okay. Well, I don't even know what I what I do here. Random group generator. You, I think Google has like a coin flip if you want to do a oh, coin yeah, flip. Oh, that's right. Google yeah. coin flip. That Yeah, that's easy. All right, Sam, what are you uh, What are you picking? You going heads or tails? I'm a tails man, so You're let's go tails. tails man. All right, here we go. Flip. And tails it is. Damn it. Yeah, there we go. See? <laughs> Fine, you're, Sam. You're the honest man this year, Tyler. <sighs> Good on you. I have to be. I have to be. All right, let's go. So you take pick one. I take pick two and three. You're four and five. I'm six and six. Yeah. Yada, 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 yada. You all get it. You've all done a yeah. fantasy sports draft. Yeah. So my first pick, the Arizona Fall League is known as a hitter's league. It is played in a, in a dry climate. Um, a little bit at elevation. Uh, and also because of the nature of the league, it's much easier for guys to make up at bats. The hitters usually have less of a limit on themselves. Um, so you see hitters take advantage of pitchers. That being said, when a really, really good pitcher gets to go to the fall league, it can be all the more special. We have a couple of them this year. We'll get into some of them, I'm sure, later. But I'm going to make the number one overall pick in this year's draft, a pitcher. I'm going wow. with Jackson Job. Wow. Huh. Of the Detroit Tigers. Not um, what I suggested there. Or not what I not not what what you I suggested. You're not in my draft. Not what I suggested. Not yeah. what I expected. Um, yeah. So wow. Jackson Job, D- Detroit Tigers. I think he's got a claim right now as one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. He is a top 100 guy. Um, if we were to update the list now, I think he would jump 15 to 20 spots. Started out the year with a back injury. Um, has kind of remade himself as a pitcher during that time. He was talking to Jim Callis about this the other day. He made his debut four strong innings uh, from that. But because he missed the time with the back injury, he was forced to focus on some other stuff, some approach stuff, and we're seeing it. I mean, he did not walk a batter, I think, in his last five starts during the regular season between high A West Michigan and double A Erie. Uh, He's got a slider that consistently goes above 3,000 RPMs. It's going to be one of the best pitches in Major League Baseball by the time he gets there. He added a cutter this year. He's consistently around 96, 97 miles an hour with the fastball. All the pieces are there. Uh, he just needs the health, and he got that in the second half. He was really productive. Now he's going to the fall league to make up for some extra innings. Uh, I would love to see him pitch throughout the fall league. We'll see how that goes. Maybe the Tigers at some point are just going to call it and say, hey, listen, you did enough. We just wanted to get you back out there. I would love to see him pitch all six weeks because it's really, really special stuff, and the more looks we can get at Jackson Job, the better. So I am making him my first pick, and I am locking down my right-handed pitcher. Wow. Uh, yeah, again, not who I expected first off the big board. Um, well, I'm going to go with the traditional draft model. I'm going to I'm going to fill the the premier positions first. And my first overall pick, I got to go with a guy after my own heart. 
Uh, it is Great Britain national team catcher Harry Ford, uh, whose full name is Harrison Ford. Uh, Harry Ford uh, played for Great Britain in the World Baseball Classic. He just got done uh, helping to lead Great Britain to a second place finish uh, at the European Championships this week, actually. Of course, his father, uh, British living in London, Harry Ford. Now, really, I mean, pretty well entrenched as a member of, uh, of that team, but uh, even more so for our purposes uh, is one of the best prospects in all of baseball. He is one of the top uh, prospects, not only in his system, uh, but among catching prospects, uh, the third ranked overall catching prospect in baseball and the second ranked prospect in the Seattle Mariners organization, Harry Ford. The thing that I love most about Harry Ford is Aside from just the tools that are there, the success that he's had already, he played this year at high A with the Everett Aqua Sox, OPS of 840, hit 15 homers, uh, walked 103 times against 109 strikeouts, so there's a lot of good plate discipline there, 24 stolen bases also uh, as a catcher, uh, but Harry Ford... Character-wise, everybody loves him. Um, he, he does community work. He helps out with kids. Uh, you know, he's just a he's just a good dude. Um, you know, that's the type of guy we we like on this on this squad, Sam. So I'm going Harry Ford first. Uh, I'm locking down my catcher, uh, and then I'm gonna go uh, over to the uh, to the next premier position, and I am going to take. You ready, Sam? Are you ready? Are you nervous as to who I'm gonna take? I'm a little nervous. Colson Montgomery of the Chicago White Sox, my shortstop. I did debate uh, between Colson Montgomery and Carson Williams. Uh, Both those guys, you know, you really can't go wrong with either of those dudes uh, as your shortstop. Colson Montgomery is our fifth-ranked overall shortstop prospect uh, in baseball. Carson Williams, the Tampa Bay Rays, he's number seven. Uh, both of these dudes were 2021 draft selections. Carson Williams was gone at the 28th pick. Colson Montgomery at the 22nd pick. Uh, but I really like what each of those guys um, did this season. Colson Montgomery climbed. Uh, he played 10 games at the, the rookie ball level, then 17 with high A Winston-Salem, then 37 to finish the year uh, with Birmingham. Not a full season of work, obviously, which is part of the reason why he is headed to the Arizona Fall League. But, um, you know, uh, a really, really, really high ceiling, very talented player. Um, and not only that, but uh, if we let's say we finish this whole thing and through games one through 50, we're split at 25, 25. And then like a, a rare uh, fall rainstorm comes through we got to move everything indoors, pick a basketball game to determine the championship. He's got a saucy jumper. Uh, you know, that's I'm thinking ahead, Sam. Colson Montgomery is the uh, all-time scoring leader in his basketball career at Southridge High School in Huntingburg, Indiana. And you're welcome. I mean, sure. Uh, if it comes Aside down to that. Aside from I'm... his baseball, saucy jumper. Well, that, that makes me think I might have to take A.J. Vukovic at some point because he almost went to college for basketball. And I think it was Mr. Wisconsin uh, for bas- or Mr. Basketball in, in Wisconsin. I, I can't remember how that worked. We'll Colson see. Montgomery, by I'm, the way, 939 OPS between his three levels this year in 64. Yeah, Colson Montgomery, the, the comp Very we get a lot is Corey player. Seager. Yeah, right. Look, exactly. look at who Corey Seager is now. I mean, right. he's going to finish right. top five in AL MVP voting, if not top three. Um, so, With an MVP yeah. already under his belt, leading a, a team, you know, potentially toward its first World Series title. Um, we will see. But that, those, are well, my, those are my dudes. Harry Ford, Colson Montgomery. 
Let's Those are two very good picks, and I think two very Tyler picks in that uh, you stuck to the big board in getting close to Montgomery. He had to go in the first two rounds. You like know, that's just... I felt a little sarcasm there. Two very no, no. Tyler picks? What does that mean, No, Sam? I mean that I, the, in parentheses complimentary. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got the international Two very guy. Tyler picks. Nothing creative here. He's going chalk all the way. Thanks, Sam. Just because I put four number one seeds in my final four bracket every year, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't fill out. All that. right, fine, fine. Um, all right, well, you took the shortstop, and like I feel like the smart money would be to avoid taking shortstop next, right? Because you're already spoken for. But the DH position concerns me here. And that that could be filled at any time. And so I want to make sure you don't get this guy. I'm going to go with Carson Williams uh, as my next pick out of the Tampa Bay Rays system. And I'm actually happy to get him at shortstop because I think one of the best things he does is play shortstop. He's a really gifted defender at short. One the uh, Milb Gold Glove Award last year in his first full season uh, because of the the work he puts in at short. Good range, really strong arm. But the best thing about him is he's really well-rounded as well. He's a above-average runner. He's got a lot of power. You look at him on the field, you think, okay, this guy might be a light hitter, but he's got a really uphill swing. It really works well for him. He does strike out a lot. I think all the other pieces are there. He is like a four-tool player right now which sounds like a lot, but then you think, well, there's five tools. Like, what what does that mean? And I think that's been a big area of focus for him this season was at least keeping the strikeouts in check. They're going to come. He struck out around 30% of the time everywhere he's played so far. If he, if that's what it is, then that's fine. You live with everything else. He's going to be a guy who, like, war will shine on really well because he does all the aspects of the game uh, strong in a strong manner. Um, but can you keep the strikeouts in check? That's going to be something we're going to monitor here in the fall league, but I will take somebody who is at least a 55 grade and all the four other tools on my roster. So I'm going with Carson Williams at my shortstop position uh, and my second pick now for my third pick, because again, we are snaking here. Hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to take the pitcher again. Wow. I'm, I, we're leaning into pitching. We're going pitching wow. and defense, apparently. Uh, I'm going Ricky Tiedemann Man. as my left-handed pitcher. And listen, there are two guys who I was really excited to see in the fall league this year. One was Jackson Job. The other was Ricky Tiedemann, um, another top 100 prospect, one of the most talented left-handed pitching prospects in the game. His changeup is really special. I've gotten some people putting 70 grades on the changeup. He can show velocity. He can show a really good slider. He's tried to work on the slider to make that a more consistent pitch. But the three pitches are there for him to be really dominant. Now, he had a biceps issue that caused him to miss a bunch of starts this year. The Blue Jays were pretty passive in bringing him along because they didn't want to ruin him. They know how high the ceiling can be. And talking to some folks with the Blue Jays, I think he wanted to get out there. He's a very competitive guy. Uh, he wanted to pitch like he did last year, but they were like, we're not messing this up. We're not going to get you screwed over because you want to pitch six innings in July. Like, we're going to keep the reins in on you to get you to be a potential major league ace someday. So now he's in the fall league. Now he's making up for some of those lost innings. He's doing it in a really competitive environment. I'm going to be fascinated to see how it goes. He had a strong start uh, the other night. I think he started on Tuesday. Uh, it was a nice surprise. His family was there. He was not expecting them. Uh, so it was pretty cool for him to, to pitch in front of his family. And he talked about how much that means to him. But yeah, getting Jackson Job and Ricky Tiedemann in, in my 
rotation insofar as we have a rotation for this thing. Uh, it's, it's pretty big. So I'm going to take another top 100 arm. Man. Um, all right. So your pitchers are spoken for. So I get to I get to hold off on pitching until my last couple of picks. Um, so I got to load up on bats, baby, because now we're facing the top two pitchers in our uh, on our draft big board. Um, so. Man, this is this is tricky. Well, I know my first pick of these back to backs is going to be and I'm going for uh, you have Jackson Job. I have another Detroit Tigers prospect with JJ as his initials. And that is Jace Young, who I will be taking uh, with my third selection, the younger brother, of course, of Josh Young, who we're now watching in the Major League playoffs as a member of the Texas Rangers. Jace hoping to be the uh, next generation that helps to lead his team into the postseason Um the uh the, you know the the pop is there everything's there he's he's a he's a dude he is a dude the only thing i'll, I'll ask about jc young where are you playing him that's yeah so because that's, that's my that's my debate here because okay please continue well so he played second base right during the regular season right and won i think best offensive in or best offensive second baseman in the midwest league um got called up to double a year like you said the power is there but and he talked about this with Jim Callis on the MLB Pipeline podcast this week. He was sent to the Fall League essentially to work on third base. Right. They right. want to slide him over there and just see how it looks. Yeah. Um, and see if he can stick there. So I think for the purposes of this draft, you can put him at either spot. But it's now it comes down to draft strategy. Where do you want him, Tyler? Do I have to pick right now? I would say pick say... something now. If you want to slide him over later, you can Okay. Um, then for right now, oof. for right now, let's put him at third. For right now, okay. we're going to put him at third. Um, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I'm going. That's what I'm doing. There's somebody listening who's like, "No, you got to play him at second. Um, my uh, my next pick. I have not yet drafted an outfielder, so I'm going to go to the outfield next, and I think I'm going to grab. See, this is this is tricky because there there are two dudes who I really I mean there are a lot of guys who I really like in this uh, in this spot, but I don't know if I want to go with uh, this is oh man I gotta I gotta think this through I think Samuel that I'm gonna go with the dude who has already proven a bit more than the other one. Uh, and that is Kevin Alcantara, who I am going to take out of the Chicago Cubs organization. Three levels this year. 284, 345, 465, his slash line. Uh, Kevin Alcantara put a little bit of pop on the board. He hit 12 homers this year uh, in 95 games at double A with or at, at high A rather with South Bend. Yeah, that's where I'm going. I'm going with uh with Kevin Alcantara. Whatever happened to Arizmendi Alcantara? I remember he was uh he was in that's Japan a good question. for a little while. Is he still in Japan? Yeah. Let's see. That is a good question. He is well, 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 we'll figure that out. Yeah, we'll, I don't we'll need circle to be, back on I don't need to be live Googling this. Uh, but a former, you know, a former top 100 prospect from the Cubs organization. Um, and yes, he is still uh, over there with the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters. Okay, well, there you go. This has so been your Aris Mendy Alcantara update, <laughs> uh, which will now be a weekly segment, depending on <laughs> as as updates warrant. Head into the Nippon Professional Baseball Playoffs. Let's check in on Aris Mendy. Okay. Anyway, please, you're you're up. 
Well, I think one thing we should note so far is that everybody we've taken has been a top 100 prospect, which shouldn't be a, a shock. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that this we've talked about this internally um, over at MLB Pipeline, that this isn't the most loaded Arizona Fall League that there's ever been by any stretch of the imagination. But there are some good prospects here. Um, so, you know, we want to make sure that they're taken. But like, it, all right, so you filled an outfield spot. I'm going to fill an outfield spot. I'm actually going to go. I'll talk about these guys in tandem. I'm going to go back-to-back Cleveland picks. I am going to go with Chase DeLauder. Not that it matters who I take first, but I'm going to go Chase DeLauder at first base. Or at outfield. And now I'm tipping my hand on who I'm going next. And and then I'm going to go Kyle Manzardo uh, at first base. Chase DeLauder dealt with some foot injuries this year. um, Really kept him from playing, and that was unfortunate. When he did play, he was... Very, very productive uh, in the Guardian system. Played at both high A and double A. Some mixed, you know, yeah, also rehabbed a little bit uh, in the Arizona Complex League. But finished the year with a 355 average in 57 games. Had five homers, 22 doubles, uh, stole six bags, walked 23 times, struck out only 30. When he was taken last year in the draft uh, out of James Madison, the, the Guardians took him 16th overall. You looked at him, you're like, Everything here, kind of similar to what I was saying with Carson Williams, everything here is like 55 or 60. Uh, it it might not be a 70. He doesn't have an 80 on the board, but like he can run really well. He can throw. He can hit the ball really well as he as he proved this year when healthy. Uh, I think the biggest thing against him right now, at least in, in his pro career, is just he needs to get on the field. Now he's doing that in the fall league. So he, he's ranked number 85 right now. Would not be surprised if he jumps several spots so long as he stays healthy in the fall league and is as productive there as he was at both high end double a, um, I think we, we could see Jace the take a pretty big jump. Kyle Manzardo was acquired by the guardians at the trade deadline this year for Aaron Savali. Uh, it was a one for one swap. I kind of loved it at the time. Uh, you know, Savali, the Rays got as a, a starting pitcher that they could have for a long time. They gave up Manzardo who was stuck at first base defensively. Um, but I think when it's on, I mean, he can hit for average, he can hit for power. He was showing that down the stretch late uh, with AAA Columbus. He was battling some injuries of his own this year. Um, but so often we talk about the fall league as being kind of the graduate school of prospectum. It's it's your opportunity to prove. For some, it's like you're. It's an opportunity to prove you deserve a spot on the forty man before Rule Five eligibility. And for others, like Manzardo, he's probably heading into next spring trying to work for a major league spot. Uh, Got a little bit of time in the Guardian system after the trade, but this is, I don't want to say a first impression, but certainly a second impression in this system. And we'll see how we wins guys over. Um, but t- usually protects the plate pretty well. Like I said, ha- has shown an improved ability to hit for power in the second half once he got healthy again. Uh, I'm excited to see what Kyle Manzardo can do. So I got back-to-back Cleveland guys for me, first a lotter and then Manzardo. Okay. Um, I think I am also going to snag my first baseman, and uh, I'm going to go to the Arizona Diamondbacks organization and the former Texas Longhorn, Yvonne Melendez, uh, who was a Golden Spikes Award winner at UT in his fourth year junior season. Um, Really good grades, really good numbers. Now, granted, this year, uh, through a couple of teams, one stop was for 38 games at Amarillo, which, of course, we know is a launching pad, but 
even prior to that, uh, at Hillsborough, he was uh, showing the pop. He combined to hit 30 homers this year between those two stops uh, in 96 games. So I really like him. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take a swing, man, on my next pick. I think. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm going with it. I'm gambling on my dude, Robert Hassel the third. I know it was not an easy year. I know last year did not end easily for Robert Hassel III. He didn't put up great numbers this season uh, in his second, now part of second season uh, with the Washington Nationals organization, but he's recovering from a, a hammock bone injury last year, which kept him out of the Arizona Fall League. He's back there this year. Uh, he's still... Crazy thing is uh, just 22 years old. So Robert Assel III has all kinds of time to get it figured out. Um, I remember watching him uh, as a, a youth player on an exceedingly talented, uh, I believe I saw Robert Hassel on a U15 national team uh, and just like was already impressed with him back then. May have also seen him at U18s. I think I saw him at U18s in 2019. Um, but the the talent is there. Let's see if he can get it put back together. Uh, so I'm going to go. I'm going Robert Hassel. All right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was a top 100 guy. Like, the bat is there. You mentioned the handmake bone injury. Yeah. He thinks he did better in the second half. I didn't quite see it in the numbers. Yeah. But handmake, like, it takes a, a year yeah, to recover it does. from that. It does. And for somebody who was already kind of struggling to hit for power, I remember doing an interview with him, and he's like, listen, I have a whole bucket of balls that are home run balls. Like, I can do it. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, we want to see it. And you know, maybe this is his coming out party. He had the ham eight bone injury last year in the fall league. I think he only played two games in the fall league before it ended quickly. So he's chomping at the bit uh, to get back there and prove himself in a Washington system that is loaded with outfielders. Um, so he has, this is a big opportunity for him. I would love to see him take advantage. Um, I am going to stick in the outfield myself and take one of my favorite players that is going to the fall league. That is Victor Scott. The second. Okay. Um, uh, who Tyler? I don't know big, if big if you couple heard about of picks this. for guys with uh, with you know uh, initials uh, the second yeah. and the third after, the second and the third the fact names. that yeah. the third went before the second is what is, is the term for that about. what's the term for that it's not I a mean, it's not a it's not a suffix. I'm going to say it's a numerated name but I don't ah, know that. I like that let's go with that I may have just invented a term um, <laughs> Victor Scott the second breakout season for him this year he's now up to the number four ranking in the Cardinals system. Uh, I, I do the Cardinals rankings. Um, so I, I'm the one who put him there after getting some feedback from around the organization. And everybody came back with like, Scott is the one who has to make a huge jump. Uh, you look at his numbers this year. He tied for the minor league lead with 94 stolen bases. He actually finished the year with 95 and had one taken away because of a ruling, uh, which was unfortunate. So he tied Chandler Simpson, who's actually a good friend of his. Those two guys go ways back. They played summer ball together. They both grew up in the Atlanta area. So they knew each other, and they talked about this uh, themselves on the Pipeline podcast about, you know, right, they would be texting each other. They always knew the other one couldn't get the upper hand. Uh, so they were keeping tabs on that. It was one of the most exciting races in minor league baseball this year. Victor Scott, an easy 80-grade runner. I think he's a plus-plus fielder as well. He shows really good range to the gaps. It's one thing to have great straight-line speed, but his instincts are really good as well, and his um, you know reactions off the bat are really good. So he's going to be my center fielder for sure. The bat is, I think, better than a lot of people expected it uh, coming into pro ball. He finished the year with a 303 average and a 794 OPS between high A and double A. Had better numbers at double A than high A, although the Texas League 
is more of a hitter friendly league than it's ever been. I think right now in part because of what Tyler was saying with those games at Amarillo, but getting him as a potential leadoff guy for me, letting him burn around the bases. That's pretty big. Um, so I, I like taking Victor Scott, the second there with my next pick. And the next one I'm going to have is one of the players I'm most fascinated by. You know, we talked about Victor Scott being a breakout prospect this Dang year. It. I think you're going to steal a guy from me. I'm getting a feeling. Ooh. Ooh, I'm interested to see if, if you have this guy, Graham Pauly. Oh, okay. Okay. No, it was not the guy that I was thinking of, but okay. Graham Pauly, who plays a little bit of everywhere. He's played some third base. He's played some second base. I think he his debut in the fall league the other day was in the outfield. This guy was not on anybody's radar, really, last year. He was a 13th round pick out of Duke in 2022. Started out this year at single-A Lake Elsinore, finished it at double-A San Antonio. Now, we know the Padres got super aggressive with all their guys, but he hit three above 300 at every stop. His slugging numbers got better outside of the California League. How often do we hear about that? Yeah. Especially a, a college guy. You would expect him to slug in the Cal League and for it to go down from there. He slugged 629 in 45 games with high-A Fort Wayne, got called up to double-A San Antonio at the end of the year, slugged 556 with the San Antonio missions. I think he's really athletic as a fielder. Um, that's why they've been moving him around between third base and second base and some outfield. It's because they want his bat in the lineup, but the glove plays pretty well everywhere as well. Um, so that's very fascinating. He was a 2020 guy, 23 homers, 22 stolen bases. I don't necessarily think he's much better than average speed, but he's showing aggressiveness in this age where stolen bases are there to be had. So that's huge. Um, I'm fascinated to see what this guy does. The, the Padres sent a lot of really good bats. Nathan Martorella, uh, Jacob Marcy. Maybe we'll talk about those guys later uh, as draft picks. But I'm fascinated to see what Grand Pauly is going to be. So I am going to take him as my second baseman. Um, I'm okay. putting him down there for now. Kind of in a similar spot to you, Tyler. Uh, I might move him around as needs warrant later. But for now, he is my second baseman. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take my second baseman and then my maybe surprise guy. And they come from the same organization. Uh, for my second baseman, I'm going to snag the newly minted Detroit Tigers prospect, How You Lee, uh, who I have loved since I got a chance to watch him uh, on the international stage with, uh, you know, he's from Taiwan. He starred in some uh, pre professional uh, World Cups in his career. I've really liked How You Lee's game for a long time. And I know we talked about him. When he first got into the Philly system, uh, he was traded to the Tigers as part of the Michael Lorenzen deal uh, this year. So I'm going to go with how you Lee at second base, which means I can leave Jace Young over at third base. Uh, and the other guy who I am going to grab is a guy who I don't think a lot of people know about and a guy who I'm not sure we know what to make of yet. And that's and one of the best names in all of minor league baseball, by the way, Justice Bigby. Uh, who I'm going to take Justice Bigby, you know, similarly uh, to you're talking about Graham Polly a moment ago, uh, another guy who was not a high draft selection at all. And this year put together a season that makes you go, whoa, wait a minute. Hold up. Who's this 19th round pick in 2021 this year between three stops? He batted 343, 405, 537. That includes 63 games, a double A Erie in which he hit 362 with a 985 OPS. 13 doubles, 12 homers. Uh, now, granted, he jumped up to AAA at the end of the season. The numbers did take a dip. 15 games there, hit 275, a 737 OPS. The kind of weird thing is, like, you look at Justice Bigby, and in any other scope 
of the measure of a human being's life. You think like, oh, he's so young. He is on kind of the developmental track of what you would have thought for a ball player five, 10 years ago. He's 24 years old at AAA. That's normal. Although nowadays we look at guys and you think like they're older than 22 at AAA and you're like, I don't know, does this guy have it? But just as Big B, he seems like he's got the whole package. Now, as you continue to climb the minor leagues, you get toward the major leagues, we see a lot of guys who get to this level and they fall off. But this is, I think, a very good showcase stop for Justice Big B uh, to see what he can do against elite-level competition on a regular basis. So I'm gonna, I'm getting a very Tigers-heavy team here, which I'm kind of digging. Yeah, I mean, it is a good time to get a bunch of Tigers, I will say that. Uh, Justice Big B reminds me of the ascent of Kerry Carpenter. Okay. Uh, yeah. And Tigers fans should be pretty excited about that. Kerry Carpenter hit 20 homers this year for the major league team was one of their bright spots. Uh, you know, obviously they didn't get to wh- where they wanted to be. I think a lot of people thought they were going to turn a corner this year, but Kerry Carpenter, I remember a year ago, it was his age 24 season and he kind of broke out with some swing plane changes, uh, made the major leagues. Now he's a regular contributor for them. It, everybody was trying to figure out who he was. So if they're following that path, with Justice Bigby, that could be huge for the Tigers. They could use as many development wins as they can get their hands on. So when I was going through Grand Pauly, I could I'm guessing that's who you were talking about. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And when you said Grand Pauly, I was thinking, oh, that's the other guy who would fit all of these descriptors too. Yes. By the way, yeah, so- uh, uh, a public um, tomato throwing for the first uh, headline writer who, if Justice Bigby gets to the big leagues and like wins a game with a walk-off homer – the first headline writer who uses justice is served. You're you're out. You're done. It's we're no. Sorry, I'm already, <laughs> I'm already just not of, allowing. It. I'm already thinking of bad puns for a guy's career in the future. I'm sure he's dealt with it already. Anyway, you're up. Anyway, right. Um. All right. Well, I think this is the last top 100 guy on the board left. And yes, he is. So I'm going to grab him here. I'm going to put him at catcher. I. Reserving the opportunity to move him to DH, and that is Kevin Parada of the New York Mets. Um, somebody who was a really, really good hitter at Georgia Tech uh, a year ago made him one of the best prospects in the 2022 draft. The Mets come in and swoop and and select him along with Jet Williams. So they got two top 100 guys in the first round last year. That was pretty special. This year, the defense hasn't quite got got there yet for me to think that he's going to be a full-time catcher. Now, the Mets have gone through this before with Francisco Alvarez. Francisco Alvarez was much younger uh, and had a longer developmental path, and now he's in the major leagues. Kevin Parada can still show plus power, but you know, playing most of the year in Brooklyn, which is a pitcher-friendly ballpark, uh, and then moving to AA Birmingham, or Binghamton, excuse me, um, which he was challenged by. Like I don't think he quite got going the, the way a lot of people would have hoped this year. He would have. I still think there's the potential in the bat for him to be really good. And he just has to be an average catcher to be a value to the Mets or whoever else gets him. Let's see, you know, there might come a day where him and Alvarez are knocking against each other and they have to figure out playing time and one of them gets shipped out. I think it's more likely to be Parada. But for now, he's still a Mets prospect and um, a pretty good one so long as the bat comes around and and meets its ceiling, which is pretty high. So I'm going to take him at catcher. Uh, for my next pick, but I might move him to DH depending on who is still available uh, by the time I need a DH. So I still have one outfield spot remaining 
and one third base spot remaining. I am going to go with my third baseman, which is going to be Zach Desenzo of the Houston Astros system. Now, he was another breakout guy, kind of similar to Pauly, kind of similar to uh, Justice Bigby this year, was a 12th round pick in 2022. The exit velocities that this guy shows are really, really special um, this year. He hit 407 in 31 games at high A Asheville. Asheville is another hitter-friendly place. Slug 628 there. Got the bump to double A Corpus Christi, 257, 339, 486 in that environment. Finished the year with 18 homers and 22 stolen bases. Don't look too much into the stolen bases. I think that's just a guy being aggressive when there are opportunities. It's definitely a power first profile for him. The defense is a little shaky, but I think in the AFL, we could see this guy really flourish. And if he takes those exit velocities to the desert, he's going to pop in a big way. Um, so hit the ball hard is is a really good way to pick up hits. Uh, and I think it's in there for Zach Dezenzo. So he's going to be my third baseman. Okay. Um, all right. I have uh, my designated hitter and my two pitcher spots to fill. And for my designated hitter, I am going to go with one of my favorite names to say. Uh, in baseball, and that is Abimelech Ortiz, who I'm going to be taking out of the Texas Rangers organization. Uh, Ortiz this year between uh, a couple of stops, one at Down East and one at Hickory. Uh, Slug Day combined 619 with a 990 OPS and homered 33 times. He hit 26 of those home runs with Hickory in 80 games uh, with the Crawdads. I really like him. Uh, I like him as a as a bat and uh, I'm going to go with him. I, I, I'm I, trying to, you know, my pitchers, obviously, I don't want these guys to feel like, hey, we left you to the last two picks. I want them to know you were always our guys to begin with. That's what I want them to know. It just so happened that Sam went out there and he made his big picks and he was all, you know, we're going to be the the best and brightest and uh, we're, you know, look at our galaxy brain. We're taking a pitcher first overall. Um I'm just throwing out slights at you, Sam. I want to make sure. Yeah, that these, that's fine. That's that the these point of guys drafting. know that these guys know that. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's the point. I want them to be fired up about how much better off our team is. Uh, I'm going with Tacoa Roby from the St. Louis Cardinals organization, who's got uh, some very good stuff uh, put together. Some pretty good numbers this year. 14 combined starts uh, between Frisco and Springfield, formerly a member of the Texas Rangers organization who has moved to St. Louis as part of that Jordan Montgomery deal. Um, got better after the trade, it seemed like. Now, granted, small sample size, but before the trade, uh, 46 and a third innings, he had given up 49 hits and five homers, uh, in total an ERA of 5.05 with Frisco four starts after the deal with Springfield didn't record a decision, but the ERA dropped to three, even, uh, only gave up six hits in 12 innings. I don't know how much we can glean from that, obviously, but the numbers did improve. So I'm going to go, uh, with Roby as my right-handed pitcher. Yeah. Tyler, do you want to just take your left-handed pitcher now? I mean, yeah, might as well, might as well um, just finish off that way. I know the uh, and there's there there are a lot of guys who I'm you know I feel like we could have the the conversation as to uh, who among this group of lefties is best because I don't think there's a lot that separates them I think they're all very good uh, in similar uh, at a similar level I think 
Then I'm going to go with DJ Herds, who is now in the uh, Washington Nationals organization, made eight starts at AA Harrisburg to end the year after starting the year in the Cubs system. Uh, 53 strikeouts and 35 and a third innings for DJ uh, after he moved to the Nationals organization. So I'm going to go with DJ uh, and uh, he's going to round things out on this squad. The Mon Mashers. Because we took pictures with our last two picks. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. We'll have to come up with uh, maybe next week we'll create our own Arizona Fall League identities. I actually like that I idea like a lot. I we, like it. We're, we're going to pocket that for next week. DJ Hers, an incredible changeup. Um, so that's going to be his kind of go-to pitch, something to keep an eye on. Uh, it, I find it interesting. This is more just speaking to this year's AFL class than anything about Tyler's draft st- strategy. But both of your guys for pitchers, were traded midseason. Exactly. Um, so they can handle change. They can handle change. They can handle new environments. They've been through that before. And I think in both cases, those were guys that were sought out by the organizations that acquired them. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, you're right. More than being, you know, throw uh, in pieces extra. to complete a deal. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So just an interesting trend on that end. So I have an outfielder left and a designated hitter. Um, See what do I want to take? For, I mean, it doesn't really matter which I take first. I suppose my designated hitter, just because I find this fascinating that he is in the AFL. I am going with Reggie Crawford of the San Francisco Giants system. Ah. Now you might know Reggie Crawford as a left-handed pitcher. Uh, he was somebody drafted out of the University of Connecticut with the 30th overall pick in 2022 was one of the most fascinating picks in that draft because he had Tommy John surgery played both ways with the Huskies uh, and then got to play this year, you know, in the giant system was kind of coming along a little bit um, as he was recovering from that Tommy John, they have sent him to the fall league, I think exclusively to play uh I don't want to say the field because he's going to be DHing. So I guess that makes this all the more uh, apt that I am taking him at DH. But they are just letting him get at bats. This is essentially the Shohei Otani effect that we're seeing trickle down. It doesn't always work. Shohei Otani is is a one of one. And I'm not saying Reggie Crawford is Otani by any means. Some of you might be yelling into your podcast devices, whatever happened to Brendan McKay. Uh, Brendan McKay had his own injury issues uh, and was somebody who – Really proved he could not hit at the upper levels of the minors. Looked like more of a pitcher eventually. And, you know, unfortunately has gone through some injuries, has not returned to the Rays major league roster. So it's difficult to say like, oh, there are going to be more two-way guys because just because it's so difficult. But the Giants want to give Reggie Crawford a shot. Um, Letting him DH in the fall league, I think is going to be an interesting experiment. He has the power to make it happen. It's just how is the approach going to go? But he's going to get enough at-bats. Uh, to be really interesting there. And, uh, you know, he's a fascinating guy to talk to. Um, When I talked to Jonathan Mayo about like, how was it going through interviews? He said, just hope that Reggie Crawford shows out every time you're there. So you can talk to him about it afterwards. Cause the guy's fascinating, really understands what he's trying to do up there. Um, So I'm going to take him at DH and my last outfield spot. I already took a San Diego Padre, but I'm going to go back to that well again for my last outfield spot and go with, with Jacob Marcy, uh, another guy who was taken in the 2022 draft, sixth rounder last year. More of an approach guy than a power guy. He had a 
413 OBP between high A and double A this year. Walked more than he struck out, 98 walks, 97 strikeouts, stole 46 bags, 16 homers. So there's a little bit of pop in there as well. Um, kind of average across the board, but again, when your best tool is your hit tool, you're going to find a way to play. You're going to get in the lineup in some way. Um, so I already have Victor Scott as my leadoff guy. I kind of envision Jacob Marcy as the number nine guy, and that's not a slight. That's more as like, let's get him at the bottom of the lineup. So he's on base for our big boppers that are coming up behind him in Carson Williams, in Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Mar- Manzardo, in Kevin Parada. So the lineup construction is working out pretty well too. So my last two picks of the 2023 AFL draft are Jacob Marcy and Reggie Crawford, both out of the NL West. I like it. I like it. I feel like we got some good squads assembled. We always do. We always have good. We always do. It's the fall league. Like even it's impossible not to. Yeah. (laughs) It's just the way this, this stuff goes. Like there, there are some good guys that we left unselected too. Yeah. You know, Jacob Barry had a great night the other night, uh, Really difficult first full year for him in the Maryland system. Looking into some of the quotes, he thinks he figured some stuff out. He was playing injured part of the time. You know, uh, we'll we'll see how things come around. Gavin Cross, another first-round pick from 2022, not selected here after a difficult season, missed a lot of time with an illness. He's healthy now. He's playing again. He, he pushed the envelope with a stolen base the other night, trying to get that speed to play. His power was at its best, was probably his best tool this season. So we'll see how that works. Cooper Jerpy, um, a a first or a high pick from 2022 as well. He was was the other one I considered for my, uh, for my last pick. You also could have gone with Jake Eater. Yeah. Could have gone with Jake Eater. One of the best left-handed pitching prospects in the game before he underwent Tommy John surgery was traded from the Marlins to the White Sox in the Jake Berger deal. Um, so, you know, that's that's fascinating to see how he's going to come along after the surgery. And now in a new system with some, uh, different philosophies on how that works, but it is very yeah, funny, I, by the way, that an eater was traded for a burger. I know. Yeah, you want to talk about banning people for headlines? There were a lot of <laughs> a lot of good ones out there. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, Ryan Bliss was another guy who I, I was kind of hoping one of us would take, but I just the format didn't quite work out that way. Another guy who was traded uh, right. this season from Arizona to Seattle. Uh, I really liked what he was doing in the Arizona system before that trade. He only stands five foot six, um, but had also, 23 just, homers and 55 stolen bases this year. Uh, just as a, just as a, a final point on uh, some of these deals, what the Paul Seawald thing, I'm still like, we're, we're months yeah. removed from it. I'm still like, what, what you're in the I, hunt. You're trying to win this division. You're trying to make it to win a postseason series for the first time in 22 years. You're the Seattle Mariners and Jerry DePoto's one deadline move is let's move our closer. What? Yeah. I mean, you look at what he got back, like Dominic Canzone did play yeah. games. He's, yeah. he's a potential everyday guy. Ryan Bliss is a potential. Yes, I get that. But I think we need to go back to a time where we look at the humanity of some moves. Like yes. if you're in that club, I think that's true, too. You were trying to get back to the postseason, which the Mariners had not done in a very long time. Right. The Mariners so this had is... the longest playoff drought in, a ma- in major American professional sports before last year. They go to Toronto. They win the two games there. They get the one playoff game at home in Seattle. This year, I our season preview episode, I picked the Mariners to win the World Series. I thought they had finally gotten it figured out. Julio has arrived. They've got some studs. They've got more pitching on the way. I thought the Mariners were going to make a very deep run if not make it to the World Series. They are the only Major League franchise to never make a World Series. 
And Jerry DePoto trades his closer at the deadline. That's his one deal. And yeah, again, like the return was fine, but the return was something you expect for like, okay, this is a, a 75 to 79 win team. They're looking toward next year. They were right in the hunt and they were playing so well at that point as well. July was when they started turning things around. And then all of a sudden it's just like, nah, we're done with Paul beloved closer, Paul Seawald, who everybody loves up here. Baffling. Yeah. And you look at where the, I, you know, I can't, I'm not going to go back game by game and see like where Seawald would have won them a game, but right, right. You know, they finished 88 and 74. The Blue Jays finished 89 and 73 and get the, yep. get the wild card spot. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, not to any- dredge up, you know, D backs, Mariners trade intricacies, but I'm still like, we're just still three months later. I'm still baffled by that. Yeah, I would love to see the game kind of turn a corner. I think we're at a time now where certain teams were like, hey, we're going to sell if it makes sense on a return. And right. maybe teams are going to start learning like, hey, let's just go for it. Yeah. If we have the talent here. Yeah. Let's add to the let's talent. Let's do it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's very strange. Okay. So uh, so my team looks like this. I got Harry Ford behind the plate uh, around the infield for my squad. I've got uh, Yvonne Melendez at first base, How You Lee at second, Jace Young over at third, Colson Montgomery at short. Uh, man, that is a very uh, American League central heavy infield with the exception of Melendez. Uh, Kevin Alcantara in the outfield along with Robert Hassel, the third and Justice Bigby. DJ Hertz, my left-handed pitcher. Tako Arobi, my right-handed pitcher. Uh, and Abimelech Ortiz is my designated hitter. Sam, let's hear it. Yeah, so behind the plate, I did end up sticking with Kevin Parada of the New York Mets uh, going around the horn on the infield. Kyle Manzardo at first, Graham Pauly at second, Zach DeZenzo at third, Carson Williams at short. My three outfielders are Chase DeLauder, Victor Scott the second, and Jacob Marcy. My pitching staff, insofar as a two-man staff can be a pitching staff, uh, is Ricky Tiedemann and Jackson Job, And then at the DH spot will be Reggie Crawford, Kind of a secret weapon. Maybe we might ask him to throw an inning here or there. But uh, yeah, it's a. It, this was really fun to put together. Uh, I always get worried that I'm going to run out of picks, and then I remember it's the Arizona Fall League. There's you can never go wrong with any of this stuff. We left a lot of good guys on the board. Uh, we took a lot of good guys, but in the end, of course, my team is better. So I'm so sorry, Tyler, for wow. the wow. seventh straight year you have lost wow. the Arizona Fall League draft. That's wow. that's a pity. Get them next year. Wow. The Dykstra Dealers against the Mon Mashers or something like that. Um, yeah, okay. Dealers and like pitching, not like trading after we go through this whole. You never know. Are you <laughs> hiring Jerry DePoto? He's traded us multiple times as we have joked. Yes, the years. of course. Right. Um, all right. We're going to step aside for a timeout. Josh Jackson will explain why there is no ghost of the miners this week. And then we're back to wrap up the show on the other side. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. There will be no Ghosts of the Miners this week as Tyler Munn got married in Denver and I traveled west on a three-wheeled jalopy. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Saying goodbye on this week's episode of the show before the show podcast. Uh, I'm headed to the mountains tomorrow with my wife. My wife. Uh, and uh, while we're there be watching a little bit of playoff baseball but you can catch some of the Arizona Fall League keep it locked on mlb.com uh all kinds of talent of course getting the AFL season underway that's it I don't really have anything else that's it no I mean yeah that's that's basically I mean it's great wow. to have the Fall League right now yeah because there was no game three in the wild card round for yeah, anybody exactly. so the only show in town on Thursday was the Arizona Fall League right uh there's gonna be games on Friday same deal the only game in town is, is to watch the AFL. So if you are a fan who is like chomping at the bit to see your team compete in the DS and you have to wait until Saturday, tune into the AFL. Check yeah. in on your prospects. Check in on your prospects. Um, so that'll do it. Huge thanks to Benjamin Hill, Josh Jackson, and for Sam Dykstra. My name is Tyler Mon. We will catch you next week.